You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Happy All Saints. Today is another one of the key feast days of the church. If you're not familiar, if you can even see me and wondering what's happening here, that's incense. It's good stuff. Don't worry, it won't hurt you. Most of you, I hope. Let's hope it doesn't. If this is all strange to you, everything's in white. This is all a big deal. This is an old party day of the church. It's actually happened earlier in the week. Who knows all, uh, Halloween? Anybody know this, this holiday, Halloween? Three of you. Wow. We should tell you guys about Halloween. It's, it's pretty awesome. Neighbors get out. We have candy. It's wonderful. Halloween is actually kind of a, a smushed together phrase, All Hallows' Eve. Halloween. And it signifies the night before All Hallows' Day, which is All Saints' Day, which is a celebration of the church. Someone in my neighborhood said, man, they should really move Halloween so that it's like on a weekend. I was like, well, actually, it's a church holiday. So that's like why it's not just on some random day, but it's actually something the church determines. Well, so we have All Saints' Day over here. But we also have our Hebrews study that we've been going through. We're in chapter 9, if, if you're following along with us. Uh, I just want to signal to you we're in chapter 9, verse 11 through 24 this morning. Um, so with all of that before us, and as we come to the fount to celebrate baptisms, I want to ask a few questions, just two questions this morning of us. Put some thoughts before us and see what we can wonder and think about together. This is one of them. What makes a saint? What makes a saint this All Saints Day? The second one is this. Isn't it weird that we celebrate saints? Who does that? The church does. What makes someone holy is really what a saint means. Someone who has been deemed holy by the church, this is a person whose life has been set aside. This is a holy person. And have you noticed that celebrating people who are holy, who are sacred, that that's actually kind of weird? Have you noticed that? It's rare. We hold up certain people that we know of. You can even think of maybe family heroes that you have in the faith or maybe figures throughout history that are heroes in the faith, exemplary people, maybe like Martin Luther King Jr. or Dorothy Day or Abraham Lincoln. We think these are good people. These are amazing people. And yet even those people, we wouldn't say, well, they're holy people. Holiness, sainthood, it's kind of a different ballgame than just goodness. And even if someone was a saint, let's say someone was holy, in our world, this isn't like a sturdy fact that does anything for you in our society. It won't get you a home loan. When they go through your application and ask you about your credit score, your sainthood doesn't come up if like you check yes or no, are you a saint in the church? When they check your, for your background checks for whatever thing you're gonna be doing, like you're serving in the nursery, uh, th- that doesn't show up on your background check, whether you're a saint or not. It's not like at work on that wall of pictures, there's a, like a holy person of the month, right? You don't get a scholarship to college for being a saint. It's not a sturdy fact that actually operates today in our world. Our world, in a lot of ways, wouldn't even know how to recognize, we might even argue, a saint, let alone reward that or, or celebrate that. What is a saint? Well, if someone calls you a saint, 
they're probably being sarcastic, right? Oh, you're holier than thou. Has anyone ever heard that said? Of course, not about us, but about somebody else. Oh, you're holier than thou. They're being sarcastic. It's a dig. We don't know what to do with holiness. It makes us feel awkward. That's for somebody else who's like really pretentious and self-righteous and never misses a Sunday. Those people, we have them in a separate category. And it's not a category that we, we regard and respect and adore and go, wow, these are great people. Not these days. So that's a saint, someone who is holy, and yet the church celebrates them. That's super weird. This morning, I want to just tell us, church, let's keep this weird because it's so good. The story of the saints, what they are, it's actually good news for us, and it's something we're going to celebrate today. So let's keep that weird together. I want to show you something in our reading in Hebrews 9, verses 11 through 24. If you have your Bibles, your scripture journals, you can flip to those with us. If you don't, that's okay. I'm going to read this portion of scripture for us. This is chapter 9 of Hebrews, verses 11 through 24. I'm going to read 11 through 14. Listen to this. But when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and perfect tent, not made with human hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls with the sprinkling of the ashes of a heifer sanctifies those who have been defiled so that their flesh is purified, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to worship the living God? What is going on here? A lot of like spilled blood and like animals laying around and people getting sprinkled with blood and something about Jesus. This is super dense. I'll even admit when I read this and I think I got to preach this, there's a lot going on here. Two details that I just want to pick out of this and just focus on together. One, that Christ in verse 11 passed through the greater and perfect tent. I want to talk about that. And two, he entered this holy place with his blood that he sprinkles us with. Sprinkled with blood. All right. The image operating here, if, if just to clue you in, give you some background, is the temple. This is the ancient, um, it, the ancient Jewish site of God's presence in which the people of Israel would enter into uh, a time of worship with God. This was his proximity, his place, the holy place, the temple. Once a year, and only once a year, this high priest, this poor soul who was called to this role would have to go into the holiest central part of this entire temple on behalf of the rest of the nation and offer the sacrifice of an animal to purify the rest of his homies, the rest of his family, the rest of his people that couldn't come into the Holy of Holies. He would offer the sacrifice on their behalf. You can see that in verse 22. The entire nation, everything, think about this, everything that the entire nation had done wrong. All the deceit, all the stealing they had done. Think of even just the United States as a nation and all of the sin that needs to be atoned for, for us individually and as communally as a country. That's a lot of wrongdoing. This high priest would enter into that place and atone for it by the sacrifice of an animal. And we get what the author is doing here that Jesus is that high priest. 
that one that we need to go into the most holy of places in the presence of God and offer sacrifice on our behalf. We can't do that. That's Jesus. And we see that the author is saying Jesus is that high priest. But he's also saying another super interesting and critical thing, that Jesus is the greater and perfect tent. What is that about? Well, before there was this stone structure that we would call the temple, there was a tent. There was a tabernacle. tabernacle. It, was, it was mobile. It would go with the people, and you'd go camping kind of out in the wilderness with Israel. It wasn't camping, but let's just, it's the picture, right? No running water, no electricity, no H-E-B. And you have this tent, you have this tent in which the people of God would meet with God. And John 1, the, the beginning of John's gospel, chapter 1, it says this that the word of God took on flesh and blood and dwelt among God's people, pitched his tent, that place of meeting where the people of God would come in contact with God and meet with him, that tent that was pitched, that tabernacle was Jesus, and he comes among us. That's why we read the gospel reading among us, where Jesus has pitched his tent among us in our lives. Jesus is that greater and perfect meeting place with God. He is that tabernacle, that tent, that temple. That's Jesus. And he is also the high priest who enters into that tent and offers sacrifices. And he is the sacrifice that is offered. Everything, no matter what direction you look at this temple image from, everything that has to do with an effective work of atonement that's happening in this place with God Jesus is that greater and perfect person who's actually summarized all of those things. He is the tent. He is the high priest. He is the sacrifice. In other words, listen, and if you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this. The whole means by which you and all of God's people would be purified and cleansed of sin is now completely and perfectly summarized and wrapped up in Jesus. Amen. Everything you're looking for to be rinsed of guilt and shame and sin, everything you're longing for in your life to be made right, Hebrews is screaming at you, it's Jesus. He's the only high priest. He's the temple. He's the high priest. He's the sacrifice. He's the only one that can make things right. He is the greater and perfect tent of meeting with God. Is everybody with me on this? You guys tracking with me so far? Yes? All right. Okay, good. Well, good, because it gets even more interesting. All right, you guys ready for this? Through his own suffering, Jesus has also become our passageway into the life of God. So it's not just like, oh, that's cool. Jesus is a temple. That's cool. Jesus is a high priest. And isn't that nice? He's our sacrifice. Let's all look at this from afar. No. Jesus is actually our passageway, our way into that most holy place with God. We don't have to stand outside the temple anymore, but because of Jesus, he's taken us by the hand and walked us into the most holy, most intimate place of the dwelling place of God. He is also the passageway light that shows us the way. You see that this like obnoxiously huge candle? You see this? Everybody look at that candle. That is the passageway light, the paschal candle. Paschal means passageway. The Passover of the Lord is at hand. God is leading his people, and Jesus is that light. And as we follow Jesus, that light, we're coming through the veil. 
Everything that was in front of us before that kept us from the goodness of God is now being put aside by Jesus, who's also our passageway into that inner holy place with God. And as we go, Jesus' own blood sprinkles us and makes our conscience clean. So we're not just left how he found us, but as he brings us into God's presence, we are sprinkled and cleansed of all the dirt and sin and guilt and shame that we once had. Jesus is cleaning us of all of those things. So all of this in mind, all of this in view, do you know in John 14, when Jesus tells a whole bunch of people, we got this on bumper stickers all over the place, people have it in their houses, and that's wonderful and everything, but I'm not sure anybody knows what this really means without all of this context. When Jesus gets up in John 14, verse six, and says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is what he's talking about. Not only is he the dwelling place of God, our high priest and the sacrifice, but he's also the one who grabs us by the hand, that light that leads us, that passageway into the presence of God. He's the one who makes our life whole. He's the one who has passed through all these barriers and obstacles, and now we can arrive with him in the goodness of God, as we say here at Res. Now, I know that all of this for some of you may just sound like really religious, like, the, of course, you're going to hear this at church, heard this a million times at church. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. For others, even in here, this, this goes in like the fictitious category in our head, right? Well, that's the crutch that some people need, but I, just, I can't, the facts, I mean, the science, it just doesn't add up, Sean. I just want to call your bluff a little bit. In the gracious, most like, kindest way, we talk about it for coffee afterwards. I want, to, I want to push you a little bit. Because even you are looking for this passageway. Even you are looking to arrive at some hope, some place of rest with God. You may not even know it. We all have those life goals that we set before us. We all have that end game in our heads that our retirement is pointing to. We all have those pictures that are kind of driving all of our life, all of our efforts. We want this good life that we all have in mind, and we're, we're groping around in the dark trying to figure out a way to that place. What is that for you? What is that end game for you? You can tell what it is when you answer the question, what are you offering your life to? What is that thing? That's your version of the good life. It's the thing you most desire and hope for. It's the thing you will sacrifice your life to get a hold of. You will do anything to get there. There's not a thing you won't sacrifice, not a thing you won't plan for, not a thing you won't plan ahead for, not a thing you won't rearrange to make a passageway to that end and good life. It could be, and it could be good things. It could be like a desire for personal connection with others. It could be a desire for, for meaning or purpose in your life. It could just be a really wonderful desire to be happy. Look, Sean, like get off my back. I just wanna be happy in this life. But we're all working out those things in really concrete ways and it actually comes about in a certain way. So we just don't long for personal connection. We go and find somebody to be personally connected to, right? We don't just long for meaning. We go and find meaning and participate in something. We don't just long for happiness. We do whatever it takes to satisfy our urges and our desires right now so that we can be happy. 
We all work it out in concrete ways. It's just the way it works. In other words, this text isn't super religious. It's just describing what all of us kind of do, isn't it? We will find something to sprinkle our blood on and bless. We will find some passageway into the good life. We will sprinkle our blood, sweat, and tears on whatever sacrifice that we offer to this good life God that we want to get something from. We're all high priests making our way into some holy place, trying to grab at something, trying to gain at something. I wonder what that is for you, friends. But this is, don't write this off as some sort of religious thing that only like religious people do. Human beings do this. They worship something. They sacrifice something. They're a high priest for something. And they sprinkle all that they have on that thing to get it. That's all of us. Whatever it is, that thing, the end of the game here, it will make you into its image. Is it worth it? When you achieve that thing, you will resemble that thing. Is it beautiful? Is it true? What you obsess about at night, what you strategize about, you will become that thing. That's just how it works, for better or for worse. And friends, this is how people's lives are ruined, but this is also how people's lives are made saints. Saints are simply those people that God's grace has taken hold of and they have spent their whole life cooperating with God's gracious hug, his hold on their lives saying, yes, this is true. This is beautiful. This is holy. God, I want my whole life to cooperate with your end game. That is a saint. And their lives are made into this holy image that by the grace of God is infused into their lives. They're saints only because their lives resemble what they desire. And that desire is Jesus. That desire is intimacy with God. This morning, as we celebrate the saints and celebrate baptism, I wanted you, uh, all of us, just take a time out in the pace and the rhythm of our life. Let's just do a, a real honest check-in with our life's aims, with ourselves. The most honest thing you can muster and ask yourself, self, what am I becoming? What am I after? What do I want to become here? And remember this one thing. God's love always has more for you than that thing that you're working toward. God's love is greater. God's love is actually better. God's love actually satisfies your desires for meaning and purpose and connection. What you're looking for, friends, is relationship with God. And you cannot sacrifice enough to gain that relationship. You cannot sprinkle your blood, sweat, and tears to gain that relationship. You cannot be your own high priest. You can't be your tent of meeting, your temple. You can't be any of those things, not even the passageway can you be. You can't be any of those things. And the good news is this, that we already have a high priest. We already have a tent of meeting. We already have a passageway, and it's Jesus. So when Christians get all, all up in arms about how amazing Jesus is, it's because what he has done for them, they could not do for themselves. And that good life that we all desire, Jesus has secured that for us out of pure love for us. So what are we becoming? What are we after? If it's not Jesus, we'll be left sorely unsatisfied. This morning, I, I ask that you would consider 
those things that you need to lay down or set aside that are obstructing your way to communion with God. Maybe they're noble dreams. Maybe they're like really wonderful things. But if they come before Jesus, it's going to be twisted and broken and destroyed and left leaving you wanting. But instead, let Jesus grab you by the hand this morning with all of the saints and lead you into the holiness of life that only he can provide for you. You can't do anything but take his hand and go with him. Only he has won that for us. And friends, this is what this is all about. This is what baptism is all about. And this is the last thing I'll say. Baptism is this huge, watery grace and grave all at once. In it, we share in Christ's death on the cross. We're we're literally buried in this watery tomb. It's the end of life as we know it. All of our plans, all of our hopes, all of our dreams have been buried with Christ in the grave. And the grace of it is Jesus grabs us by the hand in the forms of maybe the priest's hands and pulls us out of that grave and leads us into new life, a resurrected life that only he has secured for us. If it wasn't for Jesus, we would enter in that grave and no one would be able to pull us out. And in fact, some of you today are living in that place, in that watery grave, refusing to take the hand of the Lord to draw you out. And he's there and he's willing and he's able. Only Jesus can lead us into life, into resurrection life, because he's already been there. He is already there. Only Jesus can bring us through the veil of death into life. Only Jesus can sprinkle us with living water and make us pure and holy through his once for all sacrifice for us. Only Jesus can do that. And only Jesus can lead us home to that sweet, sweet rest that we have in God in communion with the spirit and the father through Christ who lives and reigns one God now and forever. Amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.